Hey, what's up? This is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today in studio with us, we have live music producer Tom Jackson. You may ask, what is a live music producer? Well, you're going to learn exactly that. This has been one of my favorite episodes so far, and I really believe that you're going to learn a lot. Tom is a genuine teacher, so be taking notes or listening and rewinding and listening and rewinding, whatever you got to do, because there's a lot of good stuff you can take away. He is the author of the book, Tom Jackson's Live Music Method and All Roads Lead to the Stage DVD series. Tom Jackson is uniquely talented and skilled at transforming an artist's live show into an experience for the audience, helping artists at every level create a live show that is engaging and memorable and teaching them to exceed their audience expectations and to create fans for life. Tom's worked with indie and major artists of every genre. He's worked with Taylor Swift, Lecrae, Magic, The Tenors, Shawn Mendes, The Band Perry, Francesca Battistelli, Jars of Clay, and many, many more. So you're going to get a lot out of this interview. But before we jump in, just making sure that you're aware of our Music Production Mastery course. If you would like information on learning more about that, text PRODUCE, P-R-O-D-U-C-E, to 44222. Text PRODUCE to 44222, and we'll send you info on the Music Production Mastery course. So here's Tom Jackson. We got Tom Jackson in the studio on the Full Circle Music Show. And Tom Jackson, for those of you guys out there who aren't familiar, is really kind of the the guy behind the live shows for every artist that you've seen. So welcome to the Full Circle Music Show. It's great to be here. Very cool. Yeah, let me just, it's just such an interesting thing. You're a live show producer. Is that what you call? Live music producer. Live music producer. Yeah. yeah. Great. So I'm a music producer, and yep. you're a live music producer. Yep. I love that. I take what you do in the studio, because most of your stuff is driven, if you're honest, you'd like to get it on the radio or make it commercial enough so that they get exposure. Absolutely. I take that and rearrange it for the live show. Sure. And because you only have three and a half minutes. Mm. I yeah. don't. I have the whole night if I want to do one song the whole night. Right. <laughs> if I can make it work. <laughs> yeah. So you take it and rearrange it. What does that actually mean? Is that in terms of going in and saying, hey, do the chorus again or yep. like taking tracks out or like? All the above. Here's really what, quote unquote, I'm known for. It's creating moments in a show. Mm. And so inside the songs, if they're well written, yeah. are all kinds of moments waiting to be cracked open. Mm. You don't have the time. Like you might on one song has some awesome background vocals going on in the song. Mm. But it's not the main part of the song. Sure. And you don't have time to develop that because you're trying to get it on the radio and they're not going to play it. Mm. I don't have that issue. <laughs> so so what I'll do is I'll pull out the cool parts in the song, whether it's rhythm, whether it's vocals, whether it's lyrics, whether it's whatever it is inside the song. And it's hard for me to explain exactly, but I just... When I look at a song, I look at a song differently than most people. In fact, sometimes, well, I often ask for tracks mixed, not mixed, so I can listen to stuff that is hidden in the background that I could pull out and go, oh my gosh, this is cool. So, mm. And you hear some perk and some drums going at the same time, and you can develop a huge drum thing. Or mm. So inside those songs, if they're well-written, are moments waiting to be cracked open and developed for the live show. And that's what I do. Well, I love that because we have been on 
the other end of it where bands have been playing their songs live, kind of testing it out, working parts out, and then we get in the studio, press record, it does not work. Right. Like 99% of the time. Right. Because you almost have to look at them, at least in my opinion, as two different things, right? It is. You know, the funny part is I do a lot of stuff in Canada, probably up there 40, 50 days a year. Wow. And in the U.S., I take commercial music and make it more creative. Hmm. In Canada, Australia, those regions, I take really creative music and make it more commercial. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. very well worded. And just so that the audience, the key here is connecting with an audience emotionally. So they've got to be able to follow your train of thought if there is one. Hmm. And it starts to me with the arrangement of the song, how you're going to introduce the song, how you're going to develop the song, where you take them, where you bring them back to, and what emotion do you touch? You get them to laugh, cry, jump, hmm. whatever it is. And inside those songs are those emotions, again, waiting to be cracked open. Sure. So I would love to just back up because there's not that sure. many people in the world who do what you do that I know of. No, there isn't. And makes me happy. Yeah. You have a very <laughs> limited competition. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But how did you, you know, what's your story? How did you stumble into 2016 being this amazing live music producer that you are? Well, I don't know about amazing, but I was a player, fell in love with music, and played in a few bands. We were good, never cracked it, but I learned to play. Yeah. I learned to fall in love with the musical side of it. What's your main instrument? Bass. Okay, great. Yep. You know, and I still to this day just love musicality rather than, and I love songwriting too, but groups that go off on, you know, my favorite song of all time is an 18 minute, 21 second song. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not instrumental actually, there's lyrics, yeah. but it's a combo of all of the above. So I was in some bands and we played and I toured. Uh, again, we never cracked it open, but I learned a whole bunch about audiences. Mm. And this is where it changed for me was, I was out on tour and our drummer had broken his arm or completely messed it up. And we were all set up ready to do a show. I don't know, maybe 1300 people coming that night. Wow. And we were out playing football and he, and we were in some small town in the middle of nowhere. So he had to get it wrapped or, you know, set and play with one arm. And he wasn't even a good drummer with two arms. But, <laughs> but he's not pulling a deaf left. <laughs> no, but well, he learned, but he had to practice that. And yeah. he had a custom setup for that. Yeah. Anyway, and so we're up on stage. And as a player, you know, we're all over the place. We're yeah. just, we're sounding terrible. <laughs> and I'm on stage sweating bullets, just thinking they're going to start throwing things, they're going to walk out, whatever. Finish the song, we got a standing O. Wow. And I went, hmm, this is interesting. So that was the beginning of me paying attention to what the audience pays attention to, not what the players pay attention to. Mm. You know, it's like being married. It's a relationship. So I may love my wife. She really knows it in some ways. A simple way is I give her flowers. Yeah. And not always on special occasions. And she, oh, and she, at least I communicate with that literally physical thing mm. that connects the dots. So with our drummer breaking his arm, I saw that there was empathy involved. And so anyways, that started the journey of me starting to look at the shows from the audience's perspective. And I think what qualifies me to do this to some degree is I know what the players are thinking because mm. I've been on stage doing it. But I also now know what the audience is thinking. So what I do is produce it so that the audience gets it 
without changing who the artist is. Yeah. I want to hear more about that, and we'll talk about that in a second, but what was your first live show that you went to that was like, this is it, I'm in? I don't know. <laughs> I'm serious. There was, no, there was nothing that went, it was not just one thing. It was actually the music that brought me in. Mm. And then I started going, oh my gosh, here's, you know, here's some cool shows. Yeah. But it was the music that brought me in, not the show, wow. which was interesting. Yeah. You know, some shows have turned me off to music. Sure. In fact, I just did a blog, this, not a blog, just a Facebook post, just a question. Yeah. I'm doing some research. Sure. What's the best show you've ever seen? Or what do you think of the best artists out there right now? Mm. And what do you think of the worst and the worst shows you've seen? It's fascinating getting the, um, I wow. mean, I've got hundreds of answers everyone wants to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'll have to go to your Facebook yeah, page yeah, and see that. Yeah. <laughs> we won't make you say them yeah. live on the yeah, yeah. Uh, on the it, show. It, but. Yeah, there are some people that actually private messaged me <laughs> because they didn't want to put it on the... Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I may be playing with them next week, so... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's understandable. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, as we do on the show a lot, just kind of the changes of the music industry and adapting. You have kind of an interesting perspective on that because yeah. well why don't you just share i mean as the music industry has evolved how has your role changed here's the irony it really hasn't and that's the funny thing is everybody else i think has and i have so many friends you know i've been doing this 20 some years and i have so many friends that are now god forbid real estate agents you know they've often got regular jobs because they could not afford to stay in the music industry because of the songwriting thing, because of the streaming, because of the the whole entire deal. But in my world, see, I've always thought live shows were important, but now everyone thinks live shows are important mm. because that's where the revenue stream comes from. Yeah, And to me, it's also a place to develop fans. Mm. Now, obviously, I love radio and I love the Internet, and obviously I've worked with some people who've uh, done pretty well on radio and sold yeah. a lot of records. Yeah. And done uh, one young guy, Sean Mendez, who was exploded just on the internet. Yeah. And now he's big on radio. Sure. But um, so I'm all for that. But I'll tell you where Sean's making his money, just was with him the other night. It's live. Yeah. It's totally live. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you used to, in the old days, whatever that means, mm. that could be seven, eight years ago, but you used to make a record and tour to sell the record. Right. Now you make a record to promote the tour. Yeah, it's it, it completely, completely. Yeah. So what was your involvement with Shawn Mendes? Just kind of helping produce his live show? Yeah. Just put yeah. it together? That's all I do is the live yeah. show. In fact, yeah. I get asked a lot after the rearrangement to, will you take us in the studio? Yeah. And, and produce yeah. their, and for about 30 seconds, I'm kind of got a little glow. And, I, <laughs> and then I come to my senses and I say, listen, if your goal's a really expensive, mediocre record, <laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> Because it's not my world. Sure. I mean, I can do it. And I worked in a studio for six and a half years, but I know what I'm called to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Knowing your one thing and sticking to it. So talk a little bit about the live show. I'd love to get into some of the nuts and bolts of it. All right. Do you have a couple pointers that you could kind of just share with an artist that are like, these are staples in a live show. You, If you don't have these, then you don't have anything. Well, everybody has something. I will say this, one of the questions I get asked most, and I do a bunch of these interviews, is, you know, what are the three things or the five things that artists make mistake doing? Yeah. Uh, would that be a good place to start? The first one would be they don't 
rearrange their songs. Mm. They'd just go out and play them. Now, here's the deal. Well, here'd be the second one I'll tie to it. Not understanding your relationship with the audience. Mm. When I work with a, a Taylor Swift or a Shawn Mendes or a Lecrae or whoever, yeah. they're married to their audience. In other words, people are coming to see them. They've read about them. They've seen them on TV. They've heard their music. They know their lyrics. Whether they really know them or not, they think they do. Mm. So when someone walks out and goes, come on, everybody, get up at the beginning of the show, everyone jumps to their feet. Mm. But if you're dating your audience, which most of the people listening to this are, mm. that's a big mistake. Yeah. Because they don't know you. You've got to win the right with them. So there's a psychology to developing that fan where the other ways they're already a fan. Mm. And that's a big mistake because they don't understand the relationship with the audience or the psychology of how to put yeah. a set together that will make them a fan eventually by the end of the night. That's good. So with that said, the rearrangement of the song is massive because they just play songs. Mm. And with a married audience, and here's, listen, I'll tell you right now, I'm gonna say 90% of the artists out there are doing it wrong, mm. which is mind boggling to me. Yeah. But let's put it this way, it certainly could be way better. Mm. And that is particularly here in Nashville, country music, Christian music, they play the songs the way they're recorded, mm. oftentimes. Yeah. And because they have fans, people scream and they clap, and they think we're knocking it out of the park, and they don't realize what they're missing. I remember having, when I first met Des Dickerson, do you know who Des is? Des played with Prince. Yeah, absolutely. And a good friend of mine. And we came here and we were so frustrated because he said, it's like somebody who's been eating hot dogs their whole lives has discovered hamburgers. In other words, they've gotten a bit better. There's light now. There's technology. It's, you know, ooh. And, and <laughs> so they're eating hamburgers. And we're waving a flag over here on the side going, guys, there's a thing called steak. There's mm. a thing called steak. And they're going, no, no, no. Yeah. The hamburgers, that's where it's at. Hamburgers is where I, because they've never experienced steak. Mm. So that's a mistake, is not yeah. rearranging your songs. And, and I can't explain how to rearrange them Sure. Just in this short interview. Right. But right. it is creating moments instead of singing songs. Yeah. People go to experience moments, which leads me to my third yeah. mistake. Yeah. Artists think they're better than they are. Hmm. Way better than they are. Wow. In fact, I have a friend who managed Taylor for years, Rick Barker, hmm. and he just did a poll. This is indie artists, a poll to indie artists. And he asked all these questions about how many of you are getting lessons, how often do you rehearse, and how many of you are ready for a record deal. Out of literally hundreds and hundreds of indie artists, they're all, we're ready. 80% of the people think they're ready. They think they're rocking it. Wow. And yet only a small percentage were taking vocal lessons, had played the guitar more than three years. I mean, just silly stuff. Mm. So we fool ourselves and we believe the applause, because everyone's going to applaud something. Right. And audiences aren't that discerning. Yeah. You know, nothing against Sean, but this is just the truth. Yeah. I also worked with his opening act, James T.W. He's from London. He's yeah. 18 year old. Yeah. And he's better than Sean. Wow. He's much more musical, better writing, all the above. But do his 11 to 16 year old fans know? Not at all. No he's idea. not quite as cute as Sean. <laughs> <laughs> And so, oops. Yeah. But that's only going to last so long. Yeah. I'm interested in 
I'm going old school here, but the Springsteens of the world, the Prince before he died, mm-hmm. you too. In other words, yeah. how long are you playing? In the Christian music world, we had a group called Petra. Yeah, They should yeah. have been dead and buried. <laughs> um, but because of their live show, Mm-hmm. And because people's lives were changed, that's another reason people go to yeah. a show. Yeah. They kept coming back to the shows. You know, Springsteen hasn't had a hit on the radio in 40 years. Mm. And yet he'll sell at Madison Square Garden five times. Yep. So do you want to be famous or do you want to have a career? Mm. So with that said, many artists think they're better than they are. And let me tell you why. And it's a legit thing. People go to experience moments. And they hear me say that. Even the ones that hear me, they go, oh, okay, we're creating moments. The problem is they're creating moments for themselves. Mm. <laughs> if you're a player, you've stood on stage and got to chill when you play a riff or, <laughs> or sing a cool harmony or something like that. You're thinking, we're creating moments. Yeah. No, and I'm, I know this is a Christian thing, but I'm sorry. It is musical masturbation. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And they're getting off, and the people aren't. And five years later, they're scratching their head where their ministry go, where their career go, because they thought they were all that in a box of rocks. Because they're feeling it. I was at a conference I I taught at Berklee College of Music about uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago. Mm. I did a weekend workshop for them. Mm. And I have no idea why, but on the last day, they brought the very last class, everything. Everyone came into the main room and they put a panel up there, and I'm like, who are these people? And it was a recording artist who's a star, their manager, a promoter, and me. And they said, so what would you say to these folks, these fine folks, you know, something, if you had one thing to say to them yeah. about being on stage? And one of the people said, if you're having fun, your audience is gonna have fun. And I let it pause, and I said, sorry. I disagree. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I mean, like, who are you? But yeah. I mean, I knew they were. But yeah. it, but it's like I disagree. Yeah. I disagree. That's not always the case. Yeah. So the question is, how do you? You got to look at it from the audience perspective and their deal. And I'm not talking about the first five or ten rows, mm-hmm. or you know that kind of thing. That's another big mistake. Is people think they're feeling it. It's a moment to them. Oh, and then we get our ego involved. You know, and I've even had this with Christian artists. Dude, mm. how couldn't it be good? It's me. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, you're missing the point here. Yeah. You know, what you need to do is love your audience, which is the attitude of giving anything in the, that you can for the audience. Mm. So if that means rehearsing a different way, putting things together for your audience. I mean, the truth is you should be accountable to your audience. I was watching an interview with 21 Pilots. Yeah. And one of the things that he said, what drives you goes, accountability. Mm. You're like, accountability, huh? What do you mean? Well, we're accountable to people that come to pay to see us. Mm. We feel accountable. So we go in and work our butts off in rehearsal. Wow. And we work through this stuff. Yeah. Somebody see them once, they think, oh, it's a completely spontaneous show. You watch show after show, and it's the exact same show over and over right. again. <laughs> yeah. But they've worked it out, and they've spent, they've spent weeks in the rehearsal room and in the big shows, Pink, Madonna, Taylor, whatever, you're into months. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so a third mistake is you don't create moments for the audience, you create them for yourself. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Another thing is your songs. Okay, if you're going to make a living doing music, and this is the downside of all The Voice, American Idol, and America's Got Talent, they see somebody singing one song and think, that's how you do it. 
But if you're really going to make a living, you actually got to go out and do 45 minutes to two hours eventually mm -hmm. for a show to draw people in. Yeah. So yeah. I ask every artist, do your songs? I mean, you're the producer too. Do they all sound the same? Song after song after song in your show? Well, of course not. Mm. You know, you, you are changing. That's why you got. I'm looking at a bunch of guitars on the wall. Why do you use a Les Paul? Why do you use a Strat? Why do you use an acoustic guitar? Because mm -hmm. that's what the music calls for. That's what the song is saying. That's it. And you know yeah. you've done it. You go in the studio, you, you play, it's like, nah, that's not quite it. You mess with the effects board that I'm looking at that is about mm -hmm. 12 feet by six feet. <laughs> it's, it's the grande. <laughs> I know, it is. It's like moving then just to move it. Yeah. But the reason you have it is you're trying to find the right sound yeah. that speaks what that song is about. Well, the same thing is true visually. Mm. And I'm not talking about choreography. I'm not talking about dance. I'm not talking about drama. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. Mm. And I'm not against choreography. I've used choreography. I'll hire mm. a choreographer. Yeah. I couldn't dance if my life depended <laughs> on it. But it really, what you need to do, your songs don't sound the same. Mm. So they shouldn't look the same. Yeah. And in most cases, every artist, or in the high 90s, they do. They do the same thing from the same place on stage over and over again. And here's the dilemma. Communication's 55% what the audience sees. Mm. If you are dating your audience, and most of the people I'm talking to are, mm. after three songs, because the songs look the same, they start sounding the same to the audience. Mm. And the artists, it's in, they're incredulous. They're like, what, what are you talking about? This song's about salvation. This one's about my relationship. This is about that, about the thing I was going through. Another one's, no, I'm playing a strat on this. No, what are you talking about? I'm rocking on this. This one's a ballad. The truth is we communicate from the stage with our eyes. Yeah. I mean, our audience, that's how they learn it. And if you're being honest, if you've ever gone to Winter Jam or anything like that, how often can you actually hear the words anyway? Right. <laughs> It's exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. a different communication skill. Yeah. But if you do the same thing from play on stage all the time, you're not going to make a fan because they're going to check out after about three songs. Mm. They're going to go, that's it. Yeah. That's it. So in fact, you could put it this way. Let's pretend you're, are you in a band? I'm not. Okay. So let's say you're in a band. Though. You're playing tonight and I walked in and you said, Tom, our lighting guy, it's just a small little lighting rig, but we're playing this little place of 300, and it's got a few lights. He can't make it tonight. Could you run the lights? Of course, my first thought is, well, I don't know your music, so I wouldn't give it justice. Right. But you say, no, no, no. Trust me, this lighting board is real simple. There's three big round buttons. <laughs> there's a green one, there's a red one, and there's a blue one. If you hit the red button, the lights go nuts. In fact, a couple things even explode. Pyro, little <laughs> mini pyro. They're going all over the place. Yeah. If you hit the green one, just kind of a cool little groove, lights up the stage, not too much, not too little. Yeah. The blue one, a light from heaven comes down. Smoke <laughs> from the ground Yeah. with just one light onto the center of the stage. Now, mm. could I run your lights? I mean, I wouldn't be the greatest lighting guy in the world, but if you're doing a rocking song, which button would I press? Right. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. The red one. <laughs> would I hit the blue one? No, that'd be a mistake. Yeah. And it's the exact same thing physically, mm. which leads us to another huge mistake, is that they do not understand the fundamentals of movement and placement on stage or how to use the tools mm. to make their songs look different. Yeah. It's a step almost everybody skips. Mm. Print the story. You like stories. Yeah. 
So Des told me that when he was with Prince, first of all, he was scared to death when he first started playing. I'm Dez, sure. Prince. Yeah. They would rehearse six days a week, 12 hours a day. Wow. And at one point, he said, time out, you guys take the week off. And he went and took his microphone stand and spent time. And if you ever watch him with his mic stand, he can play with it, he can spin with it, he can pull with it. He was a master of the microphone stand. And he spent <laughs> six days working on microphone stand technique. Wow. Anyone I'm listening to right here, have you spent six minutes? No. And, and here's my point. There's the songs that that microphone stand is just screaming to use. Mm. Then there's songs you got to get that mic out of there. There's songs you need to be sitting on a stool. There's all kinds of things that tells the audience what to pay attention to. Mm. It's another massive problem. Mm. Directing the audience's attention to what's important. We're sitting in a studio here. You could play me a track, and let's say you know you've got the intro, the verse, the chorus. The verse, the chorus, mm. here comes a guitar solo for yeah. the heck of it, or a piano solo. What yeah. would you do with the fader? You'd bring it up, because yeah. you're telling people, pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you can do the same thing visually. Yeah. See, I've seen so many times with a guitar player, he's shredding a solo, and he's standing behind his pedals, looking down at them, just like he did during the rhythm part, just like he did in the first five songs. Mm. And the audience, which is ignorant, because they don't understand musical things, yeah. they're not sitting there going, oh, I love that effect on the guitar. Right. Is that a Mixolydian <laughs> scale he's playing on that? Oh, the tone, oh. Was, no, they're, they're just going, oh, he's cute. We're, they don't even know where to look most of the time. Yeah. So you have to direct their attention to what's important by where you go on stage, by the technical skills, and again, talking to the people I'm talking to now, mm. you know, when we did Speak Now tour, the lighting was, everything was marked. Every No, it's boom, you're going to be there. Boom, yeah. you're going to be there. Here's where you're going to be. That kind of stuff. There's no question about where to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And even once you went to go back to change clothes, yeah. the guitar players would come out and we had to do some guitar duel stuff. We had that block, we had to figure it out. We had it form, but we also left room for spontaneity. But the point is, the audiences knew what to pay attention to the whole night. Yeah. And sometimes it's the whole band, and sometimes it's one person, and sometimes it's two, and sometimes it's a relationship, and sometimes it's a solo. Anyways, in most cases, the people I'm talking to, it's the same thing over and over. Where do I look? Where is the lead singer singing, the lead guitar player in? No one knows, and yeah. we think because <laughs> we know, the artists, because we're musicians, they should know, and it's a big mistake. Yeah, that's good, that's amazing. So. I would love to talk along that line because I have conversations with artists a lot that are like, well, we don't want to rely too much on the production or the making it too flashy. We're just all about the heart. Yep. Is there a disconnect there or is, a, is there a balance there or do they just kind of go hand in hand to you? They do. Depends on the kind of artist too. Yeah. You know, two of my favorite artists of all time in Christian music, and I'm, probably people listening to this don't even know who they are, Randy Stonehill and Larry Norman. Yeah. And they're great singer-songwriters. Randy's one of the funniest guys on the planet. Mm. In fact, he's so funny, you can't follow him. He's To me, he's Robin Williams. <laughs> and Really, just with long hair or in glasses. Yeah. But they were brilliant by themselves. And I hope, don't take offense to this, Randy, if you hear it. But you put a band around them, then their personality starts getting lost. Mm. And which is a big mistake. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know how to 
come make it work for them by what they were doing on the stage and and the moments the rearrangement of the songs mm. so randy's personality or larry's personality didn't get buried and i can tell you artist after artist after artist that that happens to mm. so it's a subtler thing though and who has the production yeah. i mean and that i'm talking to really we have some lights maybe if we're lucky that kind of thing so my whole deal is let's make the show work on a Saturday afternoon at a park. Yeah. The second tour, well, actually, the, I don't know what tour it was. Second and a half tour I did with Taylor. Yeah. And I can't remember which one it was. Speak now. I, you know, after a while, I, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, she was, was starting in Europe. Yeah. And the whole premise that we worked from was in the U.S., we can do all the bells and whistles. But in Europe, because you going from country to country, got all these rules and, uh, you know, customs to go through with all this gear there wasn't that much production so the show had to be good so the idea was okay it's saturday afternoon in the park how do we make it work because there's no lighting there's no yeah. and there's distractions yeah. going on hmm. and that's the way i like to put a show together and then you start adding things yeah you know yeah. now if you're a band like and i'm going to date myself pink floyd <laughs> Or modern day, still dating myself, Fish. Yeah. You know, bands that just jam and people are just, or Pink Floyd did jam. But the point is, it was all about the music. And if we're being honest, the audience is in a different headspace. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all of them. So the lights are like, whoa. Right. <laughs> but bands that are amazingly musical or a single artist that really is not captivating as a personality, you've got to kind of hide their sure lack of personality on sure. stage and all that with production yeah. yeah yeah and but how many people here can really do that right you know i recommend if you want to have a career you know you go see springsteen on a saturday afternoon you'll like it just as much as you like it on a wednesday night in an arena with lights yeah so to me that's the way to do it at least to attempt it to go for it but yeah. you got to learn these things. You don't have to. And most people listening to this won't. And it's a sad thing because they'll think, mm. I got this. Those are good tips. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I start my book. I've got a book, of Tom Jackson's Live Music Method. You are going to ask me about it. So. Yeah. yeah. But the very beginning is like, this is not a book of tips. If you want tips, go become a waiter or a waitress. Mm. This is a method. This actually makes sense. That one blonde I've been talking about a little bit, her merchandise after five days of rehearsal went up 600%. Wow. Yet, let's go to the other end. House concert, coffee house person that my uh, assistant, Lang Bliss, worked with. Their merchandise, they were selling four to six CDs a night when they went out and did a gig. Mm -hmm. They're now averaging 55. Wow. Yeah. And these are the things that we worked on. Mm -hmm. And the songs are still the same. We didn't turn them into somebody they're not. In fact, what we did was we created space in the song so their personality could come out. Mm. You're a songwriter. Here's another big problem. On stage, the song is in control, not the artist. Mm -hmm. For example, this is probably 80% of people I'm talking to, maybe more. Okay, here comes the song. You've got a well-written song. It's got an intro, 12 seconds. It's got a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, and a chorus. Out, bye. Mm -hmm. Well, what you really need to do, and it's got energy. It's got a cool little thing going at the top. So in reality, 
particularly as, let's say, the opener. You need to be out at the edge of the stage greeting people. Mm. But the problem is by the time you get out to the edge of the stage with the way the song is arranged, you got to be back to do what? Mm. Sing. So we have a dilemma here. Yeah. We either stay back and become very boring or we rearrange the intro. Mm. But in most cases, people don't know that. So in reality, the song is control. Yeah. And the idea is we want form. Yeah. We always want form, mm. but we also want spontaneity. Even fish, I don't even know anybody listening to this knows who they are, but even they have form. They start with the song and they go off on 20 minute jams, but they start with form. Mm. And this is all a process. Yeah. So one thing that kind of comes to mind, because we think about this a lot, and I kind of talked about it earlier with sometimes what translates live doesn't translate in studio and yep. vice versa. Certain songs could be hits on radio or, you know, the most awesome moment in a movie trailer or something. Yep. But then you go out and play them live and it's just like a flop. Yep. Do you think that that has to do with just the song being there's just something about certain songs that don't work live, or are they just arranging them wrong? Both. By the grace of God, and I mean that, I've probably worked on over 100 number one songs. Yeah. And some of them just sit there. They work on radio. For some reason, they work on radio. But with that said, I'll bet you I've rearranged 80 of them and made them work. Hmm. So it's all the above. Sure. Now, it's probably my thing. I probably need to leave my hands off more than anything because I'm ready to change stuff. Sure. But when you've got a song that's a massive hit, and probably no one I'm talking to does, but um, think about your radio songs. I leave them alone, and particularly if they're hits, big hits. Right. Leave them alone. Let people sing along with them. That's what some of the people came for. Sure. But after three, four, five years of playing that song, now it's time to give them the same body. In other words, you develop the intro, you might develop the bridge or the outro, but you leave the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, pretty much the same. Yeah, leave the song intact. Yeah. So that's interesting. So with so many artists out there now, I can imagine that it's really hard now to create a live show that's different from X, Y, or Z artist. How do you approach that as a new artist coming in today to do something different when you... You know, you don't well, have the production and you don't have this and that. Well, people come for three reasons. They come to be captured and engaged. They come to experience moments and they come to have their lives changed. Hmm. That's the grid that a show should be run through. So the first question is how do we capture and engage an audience? And that hmm. has to do with, you know, what we're all we've been talking about, the psychology of the show, the set list, hmm. how you rearrange the songs to make sense. Look at it as a movie script. In fact, here's how we do it. This goes back to the arrangement of the song, and that is this. The Simpsons, for example. Let's mm. take a radio song and compare it with a 30-minute sitcom on TV. Two different mm. things. Song goes on radio, a sitcom goes on TV. Mm. The songs, let's just for the sake of it say four minutes, and it gets played on radio. Their sitcom is 22 minutes with eight minutes of commercials. Mm. Now, The Simpsons about four or five years ago made a movie. So how do you separate it from the sitcom? Right. How do you separate your solo, you know, your hit song, your radio song, or your four-minute song, you know, into the live? Well, first of all, you got to understand that going into a theater is a different experience than your TV. Mm. If you would have gone to the theater, paid your 8, 10, 12 bucks, whatever it was then, and they would have played three sitcoms back-to-back, -back, 
How would you feel? I would have felt ripped off. Totally. Yeah. Was, yeah. Why? I can do this at home eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich yeah. in my PJs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how do you make a movie out of a sitcom? How do you make a... And it comes down to the rearrangement. And let me say this. This is how also you separate yourself. Because what you want to do is develop two things. Themes and characters. Hmm. And this goes back to the moments. Themes. I talked about it earlier. There's a cool drum thing going on. So we developed the drum thing. There's a cool vocal lick. There's background vocals. There's there's stuff going on inside these songs. And you know this as a producer that you're like, that's cool. Yeah. And if the people heard it, they'd go, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But you don't you again, you don't have twelve minutes to pull all those things right. out. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So the first thing is themes. And you rearrange the song so to develop those themes. The second thing is to develop the characters. Yeah. The characters are the people playing the stuff. This is how you separate yourself. Mm. Your personality, there's nobody like you. Yeah. So you have to leave enough space in the show and rearrange those songs so your personality can come out. Mm. If you let the song be in control, you're not going to separate yourself one bit unless the song separates you in some way. And, and every once in a while, let's face it, dude, and you're, you're a producer again, you still do some CDs, 12 songs on a CD. Yeah, yeah. How many of those songs really, 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 really create moments? They're all good, I'm sure, yeah. but really maybe two? So what do you do with the other 10 songs? Maybe once in a while a song will separate you. It's magic. Mm. You know, it's like when, I'm gonna date myself again, when Jars of Clay did Flood. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a magical song. Yeah. So in the rearrangement of the song, let's say I've got a cool, I'm talking about a band, and I don't even need a band. Yeah. Let's say I'm, I'm pretending I'm a singer-songwriter, Yeah. and I've got a really cool little intro that I've developed. You don't have to be a great guitar player, but just a cool little intro. Mm -hmm. And then that intro comes around after the bridge again, or before the bridge, or something. Yeah. Or if you're in a band, that's a solo. So one of the things I do regularly is, okay, we develop that solo. So we develop that solo so that the guitar player can step up, pour his personality into it. It's not just four bars and you're out. Mm. It's developing, and if they can't play more than four bars, then they better learn to be better yeah. uh, of a solo. Right. <laughs> uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be amazing, yeah. but you have to be able to play your instrument and do yeah. your thing if you want a career. Because mm -hmm. as, as music changes and as the time changes, if you can always walk out with your guitar or your piano or and deliver great songs and create some moments, if it, all of a sudden the music becomes more piano-driven, you're, you're in still. If it yeah. becomes guitar-driven, you're still in. Yeah. If it becomes band-driven, you're still in. You can morph, in a sense, still who you are. Sure. Anyways, my point being. So let's just say I'm going to do a vocal. He does a guitar solo. But what I'm going to do is have the lead singer answer the solo back vocally. Hmm. So now all of a sudden... They're standing, and we have to do this right, they're standing yeah. on two sides of the stage. Here's where most people do it wrong, even when they're doing what we call a trade-off. Mm -hmm. They come together and play it together the whole entire time. Mm. Big mistake. What you want to do is start separate and build this thing to what we call a payoff. Mm. But in that space is where the guitar player, whether it's fun, whether it's serious, whether it's intense, whatever it is, can start pouring their personality and people go, oh, I like that guy. Yeah. And then he plays off the lead singer and he's having fun with it. Now it's like he's got his way to have fun because 
he's made that way. Have you ever noticed? I'm jamming here. No, it's great. Um, you ever notice everybody's laugh is different? Have you ever noticed that? I have totally noticed that. We just it, talked it, about this the other night. Really? <laughs> me and everybody's. My wife and yeah. there's some laughs that just, they just make me warm inside. It's got, yeah. oh, that's a friend of mine, an attorney, Mark Maxwell. He's got the goofiest laugh. And every time I hear it, I can hear it from across the yeah. room. And I'm like, there's Mark. And it cracks me up. Well, the same thing should be true on stage as you develop your personality on mm. stage. Wow. As a guitar player, what is your goal? To develop style. Mm. As a vocalist, what is it? To develop style. Style is way more important than chops. Yeah. You agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I'm not opposed to chops. Yeah. But because some people style includes chops. Well, style is kind of what you do with it, right? Yep, it's, it is. It's you. What tone you choose, yeah. what guitar you use, how you phrase things, how you build things. Mm. Just to go really old school, you can go Eddie Van Halen. Boom. Yeah. What, three seconds? Well, now there's a million copycats, but it was simple as that. Yeah. You know, it's Michael insane. Jackson vocally. You can go off on a bunch of people vocally and musically mm -hmm. that develop style. The same thing can happen on stage, but you got to work at this. You yeah. just can't walk out on stage, two days of rehearsal, and then, I mean, you can, mm -hmm. and play it, and you won't be able to separate yourself. Now, you'll be thinking, it's cool, because yeah. it's me, because I'm yeah. feeling it, but it's not coming across. It'll come across, uh, let me give the audience a little bit of credit, 10%. Mm -hmm. But you're in a room with 400 people, 200 people, 80 people, 90 people, 2,000 people. Hmm. The idea is to get 90%, not 10%. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's how you develop a fan base. And then you get into, beyond me, smart marketing. Yeah. You, know, you develop fans there, you stay in touch with them, and mm -hmm. then you can build your tribe of a thousand people that'll support you the rest of your life. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Well, Tom, this has been, I feel like, a workshop for me. And how can people connect with you if they want to work with yeah, you? Or? Onstagesuccess.com okay. is the first place. Books. Listen, this is a process for you Canadians, if there are any out there, it's a pro <laughs> process. I would start with a book, and the book is expensive. Mm. But it's in colleges, it's a college book. It's yeah. 400 pages. Yeah. Here's my analogy. I'd start with a book. I mean, unless somebody's on a real fast track sure. listening to this. Sure. You know, it's $99. Yeah. And people think, oh, I would never spend $99 on it. Yeah, but you'll spend $99 on ladies, mm -hmm. a new outfit to play that night, guitar mm -hmm. players, a new effect pedal, Strings, $99, and you sell your CDs for 10 bucks over your life. Mm. If you learn anything in this, over your life, if you sell 10 more CDs because of something you learned in the book, you've broken even. There it is. Yeah. Can they get that on the website? Yes, onstagesuccess.com. I have a DVD series, mm -hmm. seven DVDs called All Roads Lead to the Stage. Yeah. That, it's a secondary thing, not secondary, meaning the two together go amazing. Mm -hmm. I have a backstage area where we have a subscription, yeah. doing blogs, video clips of some of us working at times, some of the workshops, that kind of thing. Yeah. What else do I have going on? Oh, yes, and then one-on-one, -on -one, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I have two associate producers, mm -hmm. for example. And, I mean, they've worked with Sidewalk Profits, Love and the Outcome, mm -hmm. um, uh, Michael W. Smith, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. In other words, a ton of artists that they've worked with. Unspoken. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember. When we go to Winter Jam every year, and by the grace of God, I was there the first night 18 years ago or 20 years ago. <laughs> Jeesh. I've worked with that new song since 1993. Wow. Yeah. And now that's a band that should be dead and buried too. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Now they're great players, but what I mean by that is 
all those other bands that were around at that time are gone. Sure. Why are they around? Well, one thing has to do with their show. Yeah. But anyway, so we do that. But I want to mention one other thing that we do. So yeah. go to onstagesuccess.com or Tom Jackson Productions. Mm-hmm. Onstage Success has the most info. Sure. But we do one-on-one. We work with indie artists all the time. I'm, mm. In fact, I'm working right now with an indie artist. Well, yeah, she's indie. Yeah. She's open for Pentatonix uh, yeah. in in four weeks. Hmm. Um, Sean was an indie artist. When I, no, he was with Island. But anyways, the point, yeah. point being. The other thing I want to mention is if an artist out there is listening to this and is doing more than 30 shows in a year, hmm. the other thing that I do is I help artists with support, financial. Hmm. I have, not a lot of people know this, but by the grace of God, I helped start the World Vision Artist Associate Program. Hmm. And everyone listening to this probably seen it. Yeah. Uh, where you ask people to sponsor a child. Well, first of all, it's an awesome thing if you understood why that works in helping change a child's life. I know it, you hear it a lot, but you also hear about Jesus a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and neither one should get old because helping the poor and having a relationship with Christ, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Anyways, so I helped start that artist program uh, with World Vision 23 years ago. And since then, I've left all on good terms. In fact, I'm going to call the girl from World Vision tomorrow. Hmm. But I have now six charities that I wanted to give people more of an option. So we have uh, Prison Fellowship, Food for the Hungry, Holt International, which sponsors Mm -hmm. Winter Jam, Child Fund, which is more of a mainstream charity for my mainstream artists. Hmm. Though they sponsored the Bible Tour and Sandy Patty Tour, Project AK-47. Point is, Hmm. Kids Alive, which is quite honestly, the highest rated child sponsorship program in the world. Hmm. Not a lot of people know about them, but they all have artist programs that we've helped start. Yeah, And this is a legitimate way for artists to help make a living. We never really got into streams of revenue, but what most people don't realize until it's a little too late is this is the way a ton of artists are staying on the road. Mm -hmm. The charities help them, they help the charities, and it's all legit. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all legit. So if you're an artist, and we have independent artist programs, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be Winter Jam. It doesn't have to be Michael W. Smith and Compassion. It doesn't have to be King and Country or whoever. Mm-hmm. It could be Charlie Smith. It could be Frank Grubbs, who I signed up 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. And to this day, he, with his career, he makes an extra forty to to $100,000 extra a year. Wow from child sponsorship it's unbelievable and if you don't look into it you're insane and here's what i say and i'll finish with this i tell this to artists all the time i don't want to change who you are i don't want to change your ministry Mm -hmm. if it's evangelism do evangelism if it's helping women do women just remember what the apostle said to paul when he went up to jerusalem Mm. after 17 years he had a unique ministry which was to the gentiles at the time it was very unique yeah and in a sense, if you look at it, he went up to be confirmed by the apostles. Hmm. And they said, yeah, you're doing the right thing. This is God's will. Just remember one thing. Remember the poor as you go. Hmm. So that's what I say to anybody listening to this. Just remember the poor as you go. And this yeah. is a legitimate way to remember the poor and at the same time help your career. Yeah. And Do, you can go to livemusicgives.com for that, livemusicgives.com. Okay, so onstagesuccess.com and livemusicgives.com. Those would be the two I'd recommend. Got it. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. 
My pleasure. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today has been a workshop with Tom Jackson, and we hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, head over to iTunes, leave us a nice rating and review. That helps us out a ton. Share it with a friend. That's an even bigger help to us. So if you haven't already heard, we have our music production mastery course for any producers, artists, and songwriters wanting to take their music production skills to the next level. Text PRODUCE to 44222. That's P-R-O-D-U-C-E to 44222. And we'll send you info on it. This show is produced by Full Circle Music with editing help from Kaylee Ingram and Jericho Scroggins. We'll see you next week.